Welcome, everyone. It's 11 o'clock, so we'll get started. If you did not get a handout, you may grab one at the front or from Amy, who's, who's walking around with them. You could just raise your hand. And if you have a cell phone, please silence or turn it off. If there's questions at the end, I'll bring this microphone around, and that way everyone can hear them. Yesterday, Juliet Patterson advised us to work on our writing muscles. And while there are many ways to do that, it, it occurred to me that writing a very short play might be one of the most fun. Today, Kelly Dwyer will discuss how to write a 10-minute play and, if you succeed, how to navigate the submission process. Kelly is the author of two novels, Self-Portrait with Ghosts and The Tracks of Angels, two children's books, and several short plays. Her current projects include a novel, travel writing, as well as plays and flash fiction. She also teaches creative writing and works as a freelance manuscript editor. She received her MFA from the Iowa Writers' Workshop. Please join me in welcoming Kelly Dwyer. Thank you. Thank you. Um, I live near Madison, Wisconsin, and um, in Wisconsin, in the fields are cow pies, but um, where I live in Baraboo, we make chocolate cow pies. Um, so I brought a few as prizes and uh, when you share your work today. And the first one I want to give out is for whoever traveled the farthest. So do we have anyone who came internationally to the festival this week? Eric uh, from Saudi Arabia. <laughs> now I can say that someone came from Saudi Arabia to my presentation. Thank you. Robin, Singapore. Do you want, are you gluten-free? Do you want an Iowa Hawkeye pencil? Okay. <laughs> um, and I can say that Robin came to read in the play today, so you'll get to hear that later. Um, thanks for coming, everyone, whether you came from Saudi Arabia, Singapore, or just down the street in Iowa City. Uh, writing a 10-minute play is easy. All you have to do is come up with an ingenious idea, figure an inventive and enthralling stage mechanism, employ riveting and tender characters, serve boiling hot action, and implant sensational dialogue, and get it under 10 minutes. Oh, wait, sorry. When I said that it was easy, I meant hard, challenging, baffling, rife with the potential danger of turning you into a psychotic mess. That's from the playwright Sam Graber. I find writing the 10-minute play to be somewhere between those two extremes. Certainly, for me anyway, it's proven to be easier than writing a successful full-length play, but if anyone thinks writing a 10-minute play should take about 10 minutes, they're in for a rude awakening. Then again, anyone who thinks that is probably not a writer and is probably not in this room. Wasn't it Thomas Mann who said a writer is someone for whom writing comes harder than for other people? but the joys of the 10-minute play are worth the challenges. And theater companies, audience members, and actors surely agree as 10-minute play festivals are popping up all across the country. So in this presentation, I'm going to talk about what a 10-minute play is, um, how to write one, and where to submit yours when you're finished, so that I can also share with you 
the joys as well as the challenges of being a successfully produced 10-minute playwright. A 10-minute play is a play that runs at or under 10 minutes. How do you know if it's 10 minutes? Well, the general rule is a page a minute to a page a minute and 30 seconds or so. Um, but to be sure, read your play aloud, or better yet, have actors read it aloud and time it. A 10-minute play can be six minutes, seven minutes, nine minutes, 10 minutes, but it cannot run 11 minutes. Um, if you want to find out if there are any exceptions to this rule, submit an 11-page play to a 10-minute play festival that receives 400 submissions, and my guess is that your play won't even get read. Um, it, it's not 11 minutes, it's not a sketch, it's not an excerpt, it's not uh, a skit. It has a beginning, a middle, and an end. It has a character in conflict, and it has a character who goes through cage changes. Um, Suzanne and Robin and I will be doing a reading of one such play later so that you can hear an example. According to Theater Database, Pierre Loving published a book of 10-minute plays in 1923, but the official debut of the 10-minute play as a genre is usually traced back to the Actors Theater of Louisville's 1977 Humana Festival of New American Plays. What began there as an exercise in what was called Polaroid playwriting has evolved into a legitimate form of theater. 10-minute plays have been written by some of the most prominent playwrights of the modern and contemporary stage, including Tony Kushner, August Wilson, Christopher Durang, Tina Howe, and Mona Manser, to name just a few. Theater Database says, the natural time constraint imposed by the form has in no way limited the power of the genre. On the contrary, it enhances it forcing playwrights to get the story moving quickly and keep dramatic action tight, encouraging actors to showcase their talents by playing multiple roles and allowing audiences to enjoy a broad spectrum of theater in one sitting, a theater buffet, so to speak. Often referred to as the haiku of the American stage, a popular anthology of 10-minute plays describes the genre this way. A 10-minute play is a streak of theatrical lightning, it doesn't last long, but its power can stand your hair on end. So I think this history and description gets at its appeal. I've been involved in the 10-minute play not only as a playwright, but also as a member of the board of directors of a local nonprofit theater company um, as, as a reader of some scripts and an actor in, few of the, in a few of the plays. Um, for an actor like me, who doesn't have a lot of time or talent. It's a great way to get in on a festival and be in um, just one 10-minute play. For actors who have more time and talent than I do, it's a great way to do a lot of different roles, um, comedy and drama in one night. Um, for audience members um, in our era who have limited attention spans, um, it's nice to focus on one play for six to ten minutes, and if you don't like it, you know that there's another one coming. Um, 
And theater companies love 10-minute play festivals because audience members love them, um, and they also don't cost a lot of money to produce. Oops, that was my slide. The appeal for actors, audience members, and theater companies. So how to write a 10-minute play? Playwriting basics are similar to the basics in fiction writing. As with fiction, there's some sort of a conflict. X wants something, someone or something prevents them from getting it. The conflict can be internal or external or both. Um, if you're wondering, but I don't have any ideas for conflicts, um, you can see my handout for prompts when we're getting ready to write. The protagonist is the character who changes. The main character will be following throughout your play. The character who wants something, who has a goal, who evolves, who's different at the end of the play than at the beginning. And just like in life, sometimes the character doesn't get what he or she wants. Um, your dialogue should be natural but resonant. You can't waste a line on unnecessary chit-chat. You don't have time. My advice to you on writing good dialogue is the same as my advice to my plotting the novel students this week in writing good dialogue. Um, read it aloud. Make it short. Remember, people rarely talk in speeches um, and use contractions. Uh, I've, I've told this to my plotting the novel students. I've heard and my own editor verified this, that often agents and editors read the first page of a novel, and if they like that page, they move forward and look for dialogue in a manuscript. And if they like the dialogue, they go back and start again at page two. And if the dialogue isn't natural, the manuscript reading ends right there, um, because you can't really teach someone, edits, edit someone's dialogue in a novel manuscript. And imagine how much more important that is in playwriting, where the whole play is, is based on dialogue. So dialogue needs to be natural, but it needs to be resonant as well. Um, good dialogue is a skill writers of many genres need, not just playwrights. And writing plays can really help hone that skill. Stage directions. A general rule of thumb with a 10-minute play is the fewer the better. Um, just keep to one scene. Use stage directions, characters entering, exiting, etc. Some, someone doing something when needed. Setting, you'll need to set the time and place of your play. Um, in the play world, read its uh, beach, the present day. That's all you need. Um, a 10-minute play fest festival probably does 10, 10 plays in a night, so they don't have time for complicated scene changes. The chances that your play will be selected go way up if your setting has minimal setting requirements. Are there any questions so far? Yeah, the question is, um, is the general rule just have one scene? And for a 10-minute play, that's generally true. Um, it's only 10 minutes or six minutes or whatever, so it's usually just one scene. 
Um, it's not a full-length play where there would be three acts and you're changing scenes. It's just one scene, so you really want to have an apartment and then a park, you know, in, in a 10-minute play. Yeah, thank you. Okay, um, some do's and don'ts. Do start the conflict immediately. Grab your audience in the first 60 seconds or so. In a 10-minute play, that's about an eighth or a tenth of the play. So you need to start the conflict immediately. Don't start with exposition. Just jump right into the story. Do have all the details relate to the action of a play. There isn't time for anything random. Remember Chekhov's uh, advice, a gun in the first act must go off in the third. So nothing random. Do have your protagonists want something, but don't have them get it right away. Do have your characters be distinctive in some way. Give them distinctive personalities and voices. Um, someone said, real characters are excessive in some areas, deficient in others. If there is no disparity between what your characters are saying and what they are doing, you probably aren't writing theater. So don't have them say and do the same thing, if possible. As with uh, other genres, um, show, don't tell when you can. Um, in the play we're going to be reading in a few minutes, there's a line when one of the characters says, I, I think I'll wear the purple dress. That's showing that she's ready to move on, rather than coming out and telling the audience that. You can also trust the actors to show us emotions. So be sure to use imagery and action in your play. Um, in some plays, there's a point of no return where the protagonist cannot turn back. They must move forward. This creates tension and suspense. Don't make the stakes too low. The same is true in fiction. That helps create tension and suspense. Um, do have a character arc for your protagonist. They change, maybe your other characters change too. Um, don't let your protagonist off too easily. If they end up at the same place they began, they should have le at least taken a journey to get there. Do focus on a single point. This is a 10-minute play, not King Lear. We don't have time to address all of the questions in the universe or even two of them. So we're just focusing on one point. Um, Someone asks a question, are there any exceptions to this rule? I'll just leave you with one last point, which is there are always exceptions to rules in writing. So these are guidelines, not hard, um, hard and fast rules. You can always think of exceptions to these, but these are guidelines. Common mistakes or how to make a hot mess. Uh, too many characters. It's a 10-minute play, so um, the ideal is probably two or three characters. Three is a nice triangle. Um, four is okay. Five is probably too many. Definitely, you know, 10 characters, that's probably going to get your play not read right away. So um, often you'll see guidelines for festivals, and they'll have character limits on them, but two three, maybe four, is enough. That's plenty. So um, a common mistake is too many characters. 
too many props, too intricate a setting or costumes, too many sound effects, etc. It's a 10-minute play festival. They're going to be doing 10 plays. As soon as it says setting, Versailles, <laughs> they don't have the budget for that, I'm sure, for a 10-minute play festival. Um, so uh, I know when I was a reader for our 10-minute play festival, we got plays with car crashes on them. <laughs> it's not going to fit on the stage, you know? Um, so just think about, you're not writing movies, you're writing for the stage. Think about how it's going to look on the stage. So you don't want intricate props, intricate settings, intricate costumes. In all of my 10-minute plays, I didn't even describe the setting. I don't care if they're talking on a couch or at a kitchen table or, or really what's happening, you know, um, um, if, it's, if it's in an apartment, it doesn't matter to me if it's a living room or a bedroom or a kitchen. You know, let the director decide that. Sometimes the festival always takes place in a park or in a kitchen. Um, don't worry about that. You know, you're, you're just worrying about the relationships and the action, usually. Um, too much talking, not enough action. So, um, you know, something should happen in your play. Um, I did read one um, in, in, for further reading in the handout. There's one book by Greg Alterman, and he said, uh, one common mistake is... There's just only talking and nothing happens. However, in the best 10-minute play he ever read, there was only talking and nothing happened. So um, again, sometimes there are always exceptions to these rules. But in general, you know, think about what is happening. Maybe there's too much talking. Again, the play goes over 10 minutes. Um, keep it 10 minutes or under. In my plays, I always just kept them nine pages just, just in case, you know. <laughs> um, maybe when my actors read, it was 10 minutes, but what if their actors read and it's 11? I don't want that to be just the reason it gets rejected right away. So it's easy enough for me to cut a few lines, so try and keep it at 10 minutes or 10 pages and under. Um, the dialogue isn't natural, so I'll talk more about um, what you're listening for when you have actors read your play. But... Make sure the dialogue is natural, unless that's the convention you're using. You're writing still to dialogue on purpose. You've missed the deadline or haven't followed the direction or some other set of rules. So um, on my handout, I listed sort of the bare bones, but be sure you go to the website and find the, um, read the fine print. Any questions about common mistakes? What to do when you've finished? Um, so I have actors read my play aloud to me. Um, and I don't read the script. I listen to them and watch them. And I keep the script with me so I can take notes on the script. But I'm not looking down and reading the script. I'm listening to them. Um, this is what you're listening for. Anything that doesn't sound smooth, I never assume when something doesn't sound smooth that it's the actor's fault. I immediately think, oh, what mouthful have I written there? 
Um, so I just circle um, anything that the actors stumble on, even though it's a cold reading for them. I don't email them the script in advance. I just hand it to them. Um, so maybe it is because it's a cold reading for them, but I just don't assume that. I immediately assume, what, what jumble have I written? Um, and then we go over it again, and sometimes they say, yeah, that was a jumble. That was hard to say. And sometimes they say, no, it was just a cold reading, and that really isn't that hard to say. Um, I'm looking for anything I thought was funny and they didn't laugh at. That's an easy one. That's a disappointing one, too. <laughs> Why didn't you laugh? Timing. Um, things that I thought should go faster. Again, it's a cold reading, um, so it's not like it's a rehearsal, but I just thought it would be faster and it's moving slowly. That's a place that I know to cut words, speed things up, make it go faster on my part. And also, of course, I don't time it the first time they're reading it, but by the second time I just time it and make sure, for me, I like it to be nine minutes just in case. I also asked the actors for feedback. Um, I wrote a play called Lost Conscience Noir. It was sort of a take on Philip, uh, Philip Marlowe. I'm a Chandler fan, but I gave it a feminist twist, and I made the Philip Marlowe character a woman and the femme fatale a man. Um, and I was just stuck on a line, and um, one character says he's a theater critic, and the female Philip Marlowe character says she's a much for theater, but she does like to see how her horses come in. And the male femme fatale character says Philistine. And the line I'd written in response just wasn't funny, and I, I was just stuck. And uh, my female actress, uh, actor gave me the line after Philistine, nah, he didn't run yesterday. And it was really good because she got that um, the character knew what a Philistine was, but he was, she was pretending not to know. So um, sometimes your actors really get the characters and they can give you good feedback, feedback on the lines. And once it was produced, that line got a lot of laughs and I always felt grateful to her for giving me that line. Um, so that's what you're listening to and I do that um, before I send out my, my 10 minute plays. Um, so in the handout um, that Anna and I have passed out, I've, um, I've included how to format your script correctly or links to how to format your script correctly, um, some ideas on where to submit, there are two good um, websites, Play Submissions Helper, which is a $6.99 a month subscription, and then a blog that lists partial subscriptions that are really helpful. Both of those, even the partial listing, has a lot of playwriting opportunities for 10-minute plays. And then I've listed a lot of 10-minute play festivals. Um, and I've also listed some books which have 10-minute plays in them, so you can read 10-minute plays and get some senses of 10-minute plays. I wanted to say a few words about fees. Um, the Dramatist Guild Best Practices recommends that theater companies do not charge playwrights submission fees. 
Um, I've included in my list a few festivals that do charge fees. It's up to you if you want to submit to those. In some cases, there was a big cash prize, like $1,000. So it's just up to you. It's $10 to submit. You might win $1,000. It's better odds than buying a lottery ticket, you know. Um, or if the playwright receives something of value for the fee. Um, for example, there was one um, festival where I submitted a full-length play. The submission fee was $20, but I got really extensive feedback from three readers. So I felt like I was really getting something valuable in return for that fee. Honestly, I would have paid three times that because it was like paying $20 a reader um, for getting this extensive feedback. So it's up to you if you want to pay a fee. Um, there's another, um, there's a conference in the handout I gave. Um, if your play is chosen, to get the feedback, you need to attend the conference, and the conference costs a couple hundred dollars, but it seemed to me what you get by attending the conference was valuable, so I included it. Um, but it's up to you. Sometimes, um, you know, you have to read the fine print. What I didn't include were things that, to me, seem sometimes like rip-offs. Um, you have to pay money, and if your play is produced, you need to pay $500 for a company to produce your play. What? Not only aren't you getting paid as a playwright, but you're giving someone $500 to produce your play. So um, you don't make a lot of money writing 10-minute plays. Sometimes you get paid $50 or $100. Sometimes you get paid nothing. But I would never pay anyone $500 to produce my play. So just be careful of the fine print there. Um, and maybe some of these charge fees more recently, and I don't know about them. So just go to the website and check. But um, I've listed some good 10-minute play festivals, and it's up to you if you want to, to um, submit to them or, or pay fees for them. But my advice is, um, do it if there's a big cash prize you might win, or do it if you're sure to get feedback or something else of value. Yeah. Yeah, the question is, um, how is the cash prize determined? Is it based on the reading or, or after it's produced? And the answer is they do it both ways. So some are based on um, audience favorites. So you'll see in the handout I've written when that's the case. The plays are produced and then the audience favorite wins a prize. But I think the most famous, that Humana Festival, is, um, is based on the judges. Um, so the judges choose the, the winner um, based on based on their favorite. Okay. Okay, um, I think we're ready to read an example. So this is Myrtle Beach Sunrise. It's a short play by Vivian Lermond. Um, it's won quite a few awards. And it, the setting is Myrtle Beach. At Rise, there um, are two beach chairs and a small side table. 
Um, Esther and Pauline enter. I'm Pauline. I'm um, in my 50s and six or 60s. I'm cheerful. I'm Esther's best friend. Esther is Suzanne Scanlon. In her 50s and 60s, she's uptight. And um, Sid is the waiter. He's in his 50s. And the setting is the beach in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. Time is the present. And we won't read the stage directions. Should I be in? Oh. Should I? You keep that and we'll. Okay. We can share. Okay. It's so nice here at, the, at Myrtle Beach. Such a nice change for us. Not so much with all the razzle-dazzle. Not so much all the commotion in the crowd, so you can't find a place to eat before 8 at night. I like Miami. 30 years we've been going to Miami. So we have a new place now. Hey, hey, girls. My name is Sid. At your service. I'm Pauline, and this is Esther. Good to meet you. Will you be charging to your room? Room 402. Great. I don't suppose they know how to make a good gimlet here. <laughs> the best gin gimlet in town, or the drink is on me. And you, Pauline? She always has a Manhattan. Manhattan? Honey, that is so old school. You're on the beach. Go crazy a little. You need a kickin' cocktail, and I got just the thing. If you don't like, I'll bring you your usual. Okay. You don't sound like you're from around here. I'm a retired transplant from a little place called Hoboken. Jersey? We're from Brooklyn. Small world. I'll get you your drinks. And I want my gimlet real cold. That's Sid. Such a sweet man. A shyster looking for a big tip. Esther, you need to relax and enjoy. Always lately you're like a sour glass of Manischewitz. We should have gone to Miami. We know people there. Boring people who think fun is playing canasta every night. You like canasta. Herb like canasta. I hate canasta. So you wait 30 years to tell me this. You miss him? I did at first. Five years and now, not so much. But the loneliness. I don't feel lonely. I feel like I'm living a whole life with no curfew, restrictions, compromising, and yes, no more canasta. That is a very weird thing to say, Pauline. Very disrespectful. So I should lie about how I feel? But you and Herb, all those years, married. Good years, but now I'm on my own and I don't have to answer to nobody. Cold enough? Fine. This is delicious. What's it called? Myrtle Beach Sunrise. Sunrise. Well, let my new day begin. Enjoy. I'll be back to check on you. Let me taste. It's good. What's in it, do you think? Liquid sunshine. The beach, it is beautiful. <clears throat> the dunes, I like the dunes. It's not Miami. It's better. How better? It's all new. I want that. What? A life that's different. At our age, it's too late for different. At our age. So what do you want for us? Just to keep breathing until we die? And I'd rather do that in Miami. Another Pauline? Yes, sweetie, and get Esther one. Sure thing. 
I don't want a sunshine drink. Sunrise. Maury and I always had a gimlet. Maury and I. Maury and I. Maury and I. Will you stop already with the Maury and I? Maury is dead. How can you speak like that to me? Seven years now you've been hiding under the widow's veil, sitting shiva for yourself. Life goes on if you let it. You don't want to let it. I'm not like you. I don't want a life that's different. I want a life that can be the same as it used to be. Esther, life just don't work that way. Here you go. Cheers. Remember Eddie Bernstein's college graduation party? No. You wouldn't chug the beer. I hate beer. And Eddie Bernstein was a pig. It's better than what he called you. I don't care what he called me. What did he call me? <laughs> Prissy ass, Esther. The nerve of him. He said you couldn't hold your liquor. The liar. He was right. You want to see how I can hold my liquor? I'm going to drain this fruit juice drink right now. There. You happy now? Eddie Bernstein was dead wrong. Well, see if he was wrong, or you're right about the dead part. Dead? Eddie? A marathon runner, 53, just keels over. Dead happens. You all right, Esther? <sighs> I feel like maybe I just took a Valium. I feel, remember that song, Mellow Yellow? I feel Mellow Yellow. Dingleman. What? The guy that sang that song. It was Donovan. They call me Mellow Yellow. Quite rightly. They call me Mellow Yellow. Quite rightly. I'm just mad about 14. 14 is mad about me. I'm just mad about 14. 14's just mad about me. <laughs> 14. Who would ever have a name that was a number? So maybe you could say to them, I got your number? You could say whatever <laughs> with words in a song. And I'm yellow yellow. <laughs> Esther, that man over there, he's giving you the once-over. What man? Where? Over there. The tall, good-looking one with the full head of hair. He's not looking at me. He's looking at you. How are your little sweethearts doing? Mellow yellow. That gentleman over there in the Hawaiian swim trunks said to give this card to the charming woman in the white beach cover-up. Me? It's him, the one with the hair. There's a note on the back. You're killing me. Read the note already. His name is Harry Freed. Good name, strong. He wants to know if I would care to meet him for cocktails at five at the pool bar. I'm supposed to call his room and let him know. He says I can bring my friend. Esther, you got a date? Should I go? Maybe he's dangerous. Maybe he's a pervert. Maybe he's a great guy. But he said... <laughs> go solo. He was just being polite. But, but, but he said, what should I wear? The new purple floral I got you for your birthday. You look good in the purple. Maury never liked me in the purple. Maybe you're right. I'm going to wear the purple. All done for the day, girls? I think we're just getting started. Here you go, Sid. Well, thank you. See you tomorrow, then. Tomorrow. You know, Pauline... It's not really so bad here at the Myrtle Beach. So what have I been telling you? Change, sometimes it's a good thing. Maybe you were right about that, Pauline. Just maybe you were right. <laughs> mm. <laughs>
Wait, you forgot your cow pies. <laughs> yes, thank you for your Oscar-winning performances. Thank you. <laughs> that was Myrtle Beach Sunrise by Vivian Lermond. So it has some of the elements that we talked about earlier. Um, thank you. Suzanne and Robin will be here all week. Um, I started writing plays as a child. I was telling my friends last night that um, I had a little play group. I used to write the plays. I used to um, direct them. I used to star in them until everyone quit because I was too bossy. It's called leadership skills, but anyway. <laughs> um, a few years ago, I started writing 10-minute plays, and my play, Losing It, was one of eight winners in a fractured fairy tale festival um, in Boston about Snow White and Cinderella after, happily ever after. Um, Stop Me If You Think You've Heard This One Before was produced in New York this spring. Um, after this, I got inspired by the first line of the Smith song, and... Um, just Waiting was one of 10 monologues selected for Someone's Gotta Do It at the Monologue Festival. And there's just, you know, all genres have their own joys, but um, it's such a thrill to see your work performed on stage. If some of you have had that experience, the words really do take on a life of their own when you see actors performing them. So I really want to encourage everyone to take a stab at this, no pun intended, with my waitress's ketchup-y, bloody um, apron there. Um, I have little prompts on the handout, and I'd like for us to um, um, start um, an opening of your own 10-minute play. Um, if you don't have a handout yet, we have some over there. Um, the first few lines, the first page, whatever you can do in the next 10 minutes, um, and then we'll share on a volunteer basis. Um, cow pies and Iowa pencils for anyone willing to share. Um, so if you don't mind, just start writing or brainstorming some ideas for a 10-minute play, and uh, we'll maybe take about five or six minutes to write and then have a, a little time to share. Does anyone need a handout with some prompts in them? Uh, is anyone ready to share? All right. <laughs> so quick. It's not done. It's called, it's uh, based on something I've written, but I didn't do it this short before. So it's called, I Was Mary Cheney's Lover. And there are two women on a balcony of a condo. And they're named Heidi and Lydia. So Heidi, I never met anyone like you before, Lydia. What did you do before you started working at Walmart? Lydia, ah, Heidi, you are so young. Don't you know you should never ask a middle-aged dyke to ramble on? Heidi, Lydia, shock. <laughs> That's both ageist and homophobic. Lydia, well, excuse me. Heidi, you're not middle-aged, and anyway, I do want to know about your life. Lydia, 
I guess it all started when I got out of college. Heidi, where did you go to school? Lydia, Harvard, Heidi. The one in Boston? Lydia, yes, but you interrupt too much. Heidi, I'm sorry, go on. Lydia, taking a sip of her margarita. Anyway, after a semester in frigid Boston, and I do mean frigid, I decided to drop out of school. Heidi, really? Isn't it hard to get in there? Lydia, yeah, it's hard, but I'm no slouch. I learned my ABCs in the womb, and I was doing calculus by junior high. Heidi, really? Wow, that's impressive. A lesbian and a math major. Lydia, haven't you ever met a lesbian before? Heidi, mixes her drink with her finger. Yeah, sure I have. Lydia, it's okay if you haven't. There aren't many lesbians here in Poplar Bluff. Heidi, the only lesbian I knew for sure was this girl I met at summer camp. She was Jewish and she came from New York. Lydia, it figures. Heidi, so I have to admit, I feel out of the loop. Thank you. Of course. Thank you. Thanks for sharing. Thank you. What's your name? Ruth. Thank you, Ruth. Anyone else? I saw it in the back first. So. My place. What's for lunch? Grandpa, would you like to get? Would you like me to get you a glass of milk? No, no. I've I've, I've got it. Just sit there and enjoy your lunch, Stanley. My name's Bobby, Grandpa. <laughs> I, I know Stanley. Can you? <laughs> Can you tell me where the, the milk is in the fridge? Of course. I, I'm, my moment passes. Grandpa, that's the oven. Yeah, I, I wanted to get something cooking. Do you want me to get your milk? No, no, I'll just get it. Just tell me where I left it. In the refrigerator. In the refrigerator. The refrigerator. Uh, I'll tell you what I, I, I've got if you cool your jets in, in the refrigerator. Grandpa, that's the bread box. Just just wanted to see what you you'd cooked up. The refrigerator is to your right. Why do it, why do I need to know where the refrigerator is kept? Has it moved somewhere? Grandpa, why don't you just sit down, sit and enjoy your lunch. I'll get you some milk. Stanley, did I ever tell you about the guy who lived with my dad? He was a he was a great cook. Lived with him all summer long. And you know, in the winter, he was the boy, bellboy. Grandpa, what are you talking about? Live with your dad? Your dad stayed in a one-bedroom cottage all summer long by himself. There was no room for a second person. No, no, he, he, was, he had a great cook, this guy. He was a good guy. Grandpa, what are you talking about? You, you, your dad never lived with anybody after the divorce. No, no, he had this great guy. He was a great cook. What, what did he cook? I, I don't know, but he was just a really good cook, and, and my dad loved him. Thank you. What's your name? Uh, Nathan Blazing. Thank you, David. Anyone else? Thank you. He's a vampire and she's a vampire. She, you did what? He, I told you, I went to AA. I took the pamphlet off the drunk I drank last night. She, holy moly, do you even remotely get the irony of that? He, hey, 
I went through that checklist in the pamphlet, and most of the things fit me. Like what? He. Like, does your drinking interfere with your work? She. What work? You're a vampire, for Christ's sakes. He. Hey, what normal person says, my job is to drink? She. Normal person? So what job are you talking about? He. Well, I was thinking hedge fund manager or pharma exec. It's kind of close to our specialty. She, are you implying we're bloodsuckers? <laughs> he, not as bad as that. God, why would you think I'd sink that low? <clears throat> the door, there, uh, a knock is heard on the door of the crib. He, that's my sponsor. She, well, I hope he's plump and juicy. I'm so hungry, but I hope he's Jamaican. I could go for some spicy food. Thank you. Thank you, everyone. Um, th these are great. I hope you finish your plays and write them. Um, send them out. Um, my email's on my website, so let me know if you get them produced or even if you finish them. Um, and I'll stay back if you have any questions or just want to chat or want me to look over what you, what you wrote today. Thanks so much.